Do you really understand your patients, and more importantly their journey? Or do you have to make assumptions because you have limited time or budget? Introducing Weltigo, a digital-based research solution that gives you the ability to rapidly reach and survey patients and caregivers in less than four weeks in under $20,000. Weltigo helps you identify patient gaps, remove assumptions, and stay ahead of your competition. Reduce your reliance on globally sourced patient research and get insights specific to your country with Weltigo. This is the Aromo Digital Podcast, and we have another great guest. In this episode, we sit down with Michael Duong to talk about Roche's approach to innovation. Michael is the head of innovation for Hoffman LaRoche Limited across all of its Canadian divisions, including Roche Pharmaceuticals, Roche Diagnostics, and Roche Diabetes Care. Michael also leads the Roche Innovation Hive, which is the creative space where the future of healthcare is being imagined and co-created between Roche and its external partners. Michael is also the co-founder and chair of the board of directors of the Canadian Personalized Healthcare Innovation Network, which is a not-for-profit corporation representing a consortium of members from both public and private sectors focused on the acceleration of personalized healthcare for Canada. Michael received his undergraduate degree in biology and pharmacology and a PhD in medical sciences with a specialization in neurosciences, both from McMaster University. With that, let's get into the episode. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So first, we'd like to start off by just getting your general definition of innovation. Uh, just working in the industry, seeing some other industries, everyone kind of has a different take on innovation. How would you define innovation? Yeah, it's an interesting question. This is something that, you know, it's, it's always like the first question that's, that gets asked of you when, when you tell someone, oh, you know, I work in innovation. And I think from our side of the, the equation, we, we try to make it as simple as possible. So, you know, we spent, surprisingly, we, we spent quite a few weeks um, trying to just come up with a definition that made sense for people, made sense for Roche. And, um, and we landed on, you know, quite simply for us, innovation as a formula equals invention plus application. And I think that speaks to, I mean, it, it speaks volumes to what we think about it. It's not just having good ideas and big ideas and cool new things that we want to work on. It's about taking those ideas, turning them into action, implementing them, um, and, and really having some true impact uh, in what it is we do day to day. But, but it's open enough that it says, you know, it could be applied to anything uh, that we do. So really, I mean, again, it's innovation equals invention plus application. So Mike, in terms of uh, in even more detailed, you know, what does innovation mean to you as a local affiliate? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we wanted to be as, uh, as open um, and simple um, in the definition of innovation for us, because, you know, when you think about a multinational organization and how it's distributed to affiliates across the country, um, we, we, it's not so much that we're niche, but we're focusing innovation on our role within this big multinational machine, right? And so, you know, a lot of times when, when you read about innovation articles, they're all about, you know, new ideas, growth of your business, growth and change of direction, or, um, you know, pivots of the entire business model. And, 
and as much as we can influence that in Canada, we we really have, um, I would say, a small part to play in in where Roche goes globally. So, as a local affiliate, we take a step back and we say, well, what can we? Do? Well, first, what is it that we're supposed to do for the global machine? Um, and then ultimately, how can we improve what we do? So, more specifically, to answer your question in Canada. We looked at what is it that we do for global. Our primary job is obviously as a commercial affiliate of, of the global organization, we are to take our, um, our research and development innovation and commercialize it and bring it to uh, patients and people in Canada. Uh, so, so, so that becomes what we consider to be our core business uh, as a Canadian affiliate. And, and we think about different ways to innovate around that role. Um, but then the beauty of Canada and the nice thing about Canada and, and its role in, in the global environment, the global ecosystem is that we have, I, I think everyone knows we have a very complicated health system and the, the complexity of that health system allows us to explore um, and, and come up with insights within this health system that are actually applicable to um, many of the larger markets in Europe, uh, even in the US. And so it stands to be a really nice exploration, experimentation ground um, for us to be able to look at different ways we could influence the growth of the global organization. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is as a local affiliate, our primary job is to innovate our core business, but then we have the freedom and we have the ability to tangibly influence global growth because of the dynamic of our market. Um, and we can do so relatively safe, uh, safely and, 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 you know, with contained risk because of the arguably small size of our market as well. From a tangible perspective, when you want to, almost like operationalize innovation and you want to, you know, take a look at some options. Do you bucket certain types of innovation or projects or initiatives you want to do based on, you know, time horizon or perhaps the opportunity you mentioned uh, kind of the potential to influence other affiliates or even from a global perspective, what goes into how you organize your approach, your efforts? Yeah, it's a good question because innovation has this, um, some would call it a danger. I, I, I sort of call it this tendency, um, whether it's dangerous or not, but, but this um, tendency to get carried away. So, so when you operate inside of an innovation ecosystem, uh, you, and, and most people, so, so most innovators are sort of cut of the same cloth, so to speak, but um, we, our desire zone is to go to those bigger, farther out ideas, those, those radical disruptions and, and those sorts of things. But in order for an organization, a company to innovate sustainably um, and ensure that, you know, we're able to bring innovation, new ideas to market or even to sort of the, what we do, um, we, we have to manage those efforts, the resources spent um, in those spaces. So we did come up with a model and 
you know, back to the flavor of clarity, simplicity. Um, clarity, obviously, is a gift um, that we give back to the organization when we think about these complex issues. Um, and we've simplified it by saying there's, there's really three, um, let's call it three categories of innovation or, or three um, levels of innovation. And, and we provide a little bit of guidance as to where we should deploy our resources. And we think about it as growth. So our three categories are basically growth for today, growth for tomorrow, and create for the future. Uh, and you know, our core business and the majority of our resources, when you think about the Roche Canada um, spend expenditures, uh, is in growth for today. Um, and what that means, it, you know, those time horizons are, are relatively uh, vague, but ultimately that means what is our current portfolio, what's coming within the next year or so, and how do you innovate to ensure that that business is going to be successful and can grow. Um, it also sort of puts some guardrails, or not guardrails, but it sort of puts some expectations around what you would expect to see in growth for today. Growth for today, we're not talking about 10x growth opportunities. We're talking about incremental growth of the current business. That's very much aligned to what we what, what we globally um, uh, convey to our shareholders is this is the expected growth over the next year or so. Um, and, and that's what we expect of our, of our local uh, Canadian business model. Growth for tomorrow allows us to think a little bit further out in, time, in, in terms of a time horizon. So if it's not within the next year or so, it's at least within the next three years or five years. Um, and it, it basically challenges the organization to say, what can you do with your current portfolio to allow it to grow beyond, um, you know, what your expectations are set for one to two years? And that obviously doesn't mean completely disrupt your business model. That just basically means explore some of the adjacent areas that maybe you're not playing in yet. And so, you know, the expectation there isn't incremental. It's probably more um, moderate to significant growth opportunities. It's new markets. It's new, um, maybe new applications uh, within the market. Um, sometimes, you know, it could be new technologies coming into the same market. But again, as a local affiliate, how much, how much um, influence can we have in bringing new technologies to market? So there's a bit of a measured approach there. But then ultimately, you know, the, the cool stuff, the stuff that you could get carried away with is in that create for the future. This is that open field of play that, that we, um, we, we strive to, to have in Canada, but also, you know, know that, that most of that work has to be done with global. But this is talking about if the field was wide open, if Roche business models could be completely disrupted, um, if you were to create for a future that's 10 plus years out, you know, what kind of innovation would you explore? What kind of things would you bring to market? If your only goal was to deliver health outcomes to patients and you had the freedom to come up with any business model to deliver that outcome, you know, then what would you think about? And, and, and so that is the field where innovators, um, people that, that, you know, live and breathe this space, that's the desire zone for us. And, and so, so we, um, we have that opportunity, but going back to 
sort of the need to, to take a measured approach, the need to do it responsibly and sustainably, um, we have a very small percentage of our resources going to that effort. And that effort is always in combination with global business development. So just out of curiosity, from your own perspective, what's easier to sell internally or, you know, what's easier to get people on board? Is it the growth for today because, you know, they can envision it or is it growth for tomorrow because it's generally like cool technology and all that? It depends on who you talk to and it depends on when you talk to them. Um, and, and I would say, you know, in general, the interesting conversation. So if you were to have a conversation just out of pure, let's call it academic interest and what, and, and you were just sort of chatting about where we could go and what are the potential opportunities. So that is the tone of the conversation. Obviously it's, it's the more interesting conversation is um, around growth for tomorrow, maybe even create for the future. Um, but it always, you know, especially given the environment that we're in, it always comes back to growth for today because we, we recognize that growth for today is what supports our ability to explore, is what supports our ability to look into growth for tomorrow. And so without success of growth for today, um, you know, strategies, tactics, those, so on and so forth, um, we really don't have, it's not viable for us to, to have that freedom to, to look into growth for tomorrow. And so, you know, when you think about the conversations with senior leadership, and I think it goes back to, you know, the percentages or, or the allocation of our resources. So, you know, and it's not a hard and fast rule, but growth for today, we think that, you know, 60 to 70, maybe sometimes 75% of our resources are really going into that bucket. Um, and so those conversations that I'm having with um, senior leadership in, in Canada, 70, 75% of those conversations are focused around growth for today conversations. What are we doing in today's challenges with today's portfolio, with today's market? Um, how are we breaking through some of those barriers? Um, and then, you know, the rest of the time we are talking about the future and we are talking about bigger growth opportunities, but it's the same, it's, you know, that, that resource number, it's not just about the number, the dollars that you spend in these areas. It's about the time that you spend talking about these areas. It's about the time that you spend thinking about these areas. And it has to be, you know, it has to be balanced like that. Otherwise, if you find yourself thinking about the future 70% of the time, then that's going to translate to your actions and your tactics. It's it's you know it's gonna it's gonna disproportionately focus your effort um, into these areas where where we've sort of set those boundaries. So in terms of growth for today, as much as you can you know feel comfortable sharing, what are some of the types of innovation that you guys are exploring right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so you, you know, and and growth for today is is sort of. It in itself is actually a really interesting area because today, as we see it in the healthcare system, there are some really cool technologies and there are some really cool um, new innovation that's being developed in the market waiting for it to come in. So um, when you think about, uh, there's a couple of things that we think about um, when, when we think about the things that we're working on and you know, who we are, we are Canada. And so, you know, what does Canada bring to, in terms of an expertise, in terms of a differentiator um, to the global market and how can we contribute value to, 
you know, these new innovations that are contributing for growth for today. Um, that's sort of a long way to say, well, we actually feel um, strongly that Canada has a, a disproportionate um, level of expertise in artificial intelligence and digital health technologies. We have the some would argue the leaders globally of artificial intelligence and, and advanced analytics in Canada. They've set up shop here. Um, they've set up massive research institutions here, and we've partnered with them over the last couple of years. We've, we've partnered with, you know, the largest academic research institutions in artificial intelligence to create um, artificial intelligence with Roche. So uh, AIR, uh, which is a, a massive public-private partnership focused on bringing AI to healthcare. Um, you know, when you talk about AI, a lot of people think about that's growth for tomorrow, but not for us. Uh, AI is completely disrupting healthcare and the delivery of healthcare today. It's, it's taking what we currently have, making it better, increasing capacity in the health system, increasing efficiencies for the health system. Um, and we hope to bring many of that to tangible realization, tangible applications um, in the market. And so, that, that's a big area of focus for us. Our, our AI and digital health team um, consistently, you know, is, is involved in all strategic uh, discussions with each of the business units, thinking about, you know, how can AI advance what you're doing? How can it support launching a new drug? Um, and then to think beyond that, how can it deliver health outcomes beyond the pill? Um, and so, the, the, you know, the, that's another thing that speaks to, a lot of people think about those cool conversations only happening when we think future out, when we think growth for tomorrow, but growth for today is very exciting um, in the healthcare system. And, and that's what we do um, from, from that lens. But I think it's also really important um, when you think about today to think about your operating model. So we have an entire function within our innovation organization that looks at uh, process optimization, innovation for process optimization. How can we increase efficiencies, increase capacity within our own organization? How do we, um, we, have, we have actually several um, significant uh, programs looking at robotic process automation. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 increasing our own capacity to do the tasks that could be automated leveraging technology so that we can it's not so that we can eliminate resources it's so that we can transfer those resources to the things that you can't automate um, the strategic thinking the the tactical application the um, the community building the relationship building um, within the health system those things um, you know can't yet be automated, maybe never will be automated. And so we should be transferring human resources to those actions and then using automation technologies to, um, to increase the capacity, enhance the capacity of the other tasks. So those are just some examples. Happy to go into more if, if you think that's interesting. I think we might touch on um, kind of more about what you're doing with artificial intelligence. I'd like to know a little bit about how you not stumble upon, but how do you come into contact with these new technologies? Because when they do come about, the link to healthcare is is a little vague, and you it's not so clear. But you, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, you kind of have to allow yourself to explore it, even if there's nothing really there. So if 
today, you know, the artificial intelligence equivalent of, you know, the next five years, it might be a very small niche uh, community or maybe small conferences and events or newsletters. How do you kind of keep your, your flow of new technologies uh, going and who do you involve internally in that? Do you send people from your teams to various conferences or uh, is this more operationalized by getting consultants to come in and present to you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's an interesting question because it, it we, we probably would have taken, pro- yeah, probably is the right word because I don't know, um, you know, I don't have the counterfactual to, to say any other way, but pre-pandemic, we probably would have taken a different approach. Um, but when we launched uh, Innovation at Roche, uh, we launched it in right in the middle or right at the beginning of, of the pandemic. So conferences weren't a thing, right? So if you think back, you know, to 2020 um, and, and when things started shutting down, um, it, before before conferences started started to go largely virtual, um, a lot of them just got canceled. Um, and so, you know, were we were we would have would we have gone to South by Southwest? Would we have gone to you know HIN, Some some of these larger conferences that are bringing some of these new technologies, um, you know, bringing awareness to some of these in the application in healthcare. Yeah, likely we would. Um, will we now? as the world is opening back up. Yeah, I, I think those are areas where, you know, conferences and trade shows are where you can get um, exposure, acute exposure to a lot of uh, technologies, but it's not the only um, way in which we we keep a handle on, on new things coming. Um, the first and most organic way is the entire team at Roche, not, not just the innovation team, but Roche itself is completely open um to to ideas completely i mean this comes from senior leadership all the way down to um people on the on the ground our eyes and ears are always open for you know what could be um what could be the next thing um because we're we're an outcomes-based organization meaning that our primary outcome is to deliver health to patients and people in in canada um how we do it you know, we're not so focused on that. We're, we're, as long as there is the potential for us to deliver more outcomes to patients, more health outcomes to patients, um, then, then that's what our interest is. So there's that organic approach, just being open, just always listening, just always hearing what, what's happening in the market. And then we also have a few more, um, let's say, focused um, or purposeful um initiatives um we built up a think tank last year that think tank is uh, made up of internal and external um experts and non-experts um that come around the table to discuss so far it's discuss areas of significant change so um you know these these sort of small signals of change that, that translate into large macro um, uh, trends uh, in, in our environment, outside of our environment. Um, and we purposely think about, okay, what is that impact to our business, our sector, the healthcare system, to people, to patients? Um, and then we, um, you know, similar to a think tank fashion, we, we consolidate that 
that those insights, that information, we apply it to our own strategies. Um, and then, you know, we haven't yet, but, but the idea is that we disseminate this knowledge because that knowledge is incredibly powerful for the community to start shift, shifting and shaping what they do. So, you know, as much as it's going to benefit Roche's own strategy, Roche's own strategy is entirely dependent on, on the community um, and, and interactions and partnerships with the community so that we can all work together to make these transformations and these changes in the healthcare system. So, so it's not information that we're at all holding back. It's just, you know, when we decide, is this relevant? Is this credible? Is this um, going to be beneficial for the community? Then we'll certainly publish it and, and make it available to people. Um, another initiative that we're, we'll be starting out this year is um, more of like a, like a trend scanning type of um, uh, initiative where, where we'll purposely go out there and look for these signals of change um, and document these signals of change and then uh, continue to monitor them to see, okay, and, and these aren't like the big massive things that you know are going to disrupt the healthcare system. They're just small little signals. Um, but the idea is that, you know, some of these small signals, uh, they're just the tip of the iceberg and, and the massive change is all happening under the water. And so our, 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 our desire there is to understand how those small signals of change are ultimately going to disrupt the healthcare system in the future. Um, so they'll be, un, they'll be under constant monitoring to see, you know, what are those inflection points that cause these small signals to become massive icebergs that are going to alter the course of our business. And, um, and that's just something that we're exploring. We don't have all the answers figured out there yet, but, but just gives you an idea of, of how we're trend scanning. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing, you know, in most cases, technology gets the right amount of attention. And we've seen that, but there are some examples like Theranos where, you know, mm. the hype takes over the people's decision making. And how as a group um, and yourself stay grounded in avoiding getting caught up into that hype um, of either a particular technology, like you said, with AI, et cetera, uh, or innovation. I think we rely heavily on the community voice. Um, one of the things I hadn't mentioned yet is what is our philosophy on innovation uh, at Roche? And it's entirely um, externally driven. So, so we've, we've really gone all in on open innovation at Roche. Um, to say that, you know, we are experts in drug development and drug commercialization, and there's probably no arguing that Roche's history and Roche's success so far has been in this area. But as we enter new into new spaces of technology, new business models of delivering more outcomes to patients, new transformations inside the healthcare system, we realize that um, you know, the drug intervention, the pharmaceutical intervention, and even the diagnostic intervention, which arguably we are also experts in, um, it's just a small, it's just one or two pieces of the puzzle, right? Um, that puzzle is getting bigger, more pieces are coming in, there are different ways to alter the course of disease now that, you know, aren't drugs and diagnostic devices. And so we're not experts in those. Um, we recognize that those experts are within the community um, and those experts, you know, we can work with. Uh, and so that's why we've gone sort of all in on open innovation. And I think, you know, relying, not so much relying, but bringing in the external voice, bringing in the community um, to help us validate some of these ideas 
rather than just have one or two experts um, that become sort of that idea generator, then you bring in multiple sides of the equation and you have multiple mechanisms of validating those ideas and, and sort of getting, getting the signal from the noise or getting through the hype machine, right? And so, um, you know, hype is usually driven by one or two individuals and, and most other people jump on and, and, you know, over time, those one or two individuals, they, they, they're louder and, um, than, than the community is. But I think, you know, our, our, our philosophy is the community is always the loudest. Um, and, and, and so not to, not to let one or two voices drown out the community, but always listen to the community, always listen to the people and the patients and, um, and hear what they have to say. Is it going to work? I don't know. I, I mean, the hype machine is strong. Um, and so we may always find ourselves getting caught in, in some of these cycles um, where, where a technology is overhyped and everyone's jumping into it and we don't know um, what the potential is, but everyone's telling us it has massive potential. And so we go all in on, on some of those. Yeah. I mean, are we going to get caught in some of those cycles? Likely. Um, I think for us, it's the openness to pivot away from that when, when we start getting the signals that it may not be, it's, 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 you know, the potential may not be there. Take AI, for instance, like I think the hype machine is strong around AI. Everyone thinks it's going to be transformative. Everyone thinks it's going to revolutionize how we deliver healthcare to patients. We also agree. We also think that as well. But, you know, what if in a couple of years, the, the, the readouts, the outputs, the results of a lot of these AI experiments say that, you know, we can't do it the way that we envisioned it. We're open to pivoting. We're, we're not, um, we're, we're as agile as a lot of the smaller tech companies are, as agile as can be for a large multinational corporation. But, um, but all to say, we're not married to any one of these ideas because we recognize that we're in sort of an era of change right now. I think that's the most we can ask for is just to be prepared for change. So you mentioned pivoting when, you know, maybe something doesn't pan out. Would love to hear your thoughts about ideas or initiatives that aren't working. They're not panning out. How do you cut your losses one and two, how do you communicate that to the rest of the organization? Do you spend much time like dwelling on it or is it better just to quickly move on? you know, a couple learnings and uh, just, again, pivot to something that's going to work. Yeah, I, I think the way that we've set up um, our programs, uh, our initiatives, our large-scale explorations, um, there is an expectation of adaptation and evolution there. Um, and so I'll give you a little bit more detail on that. We don't go into any large, massive innovation exploration with a long-term commitment. Um, we don't go into it with a large-scale investment. We grow into these partnerships. We grow into these commitments. So, you know, a lot of people will ask, well, you know, how do you guys decide on what idea you pursue, what, what, um, what new projects you explore, like how do you know, how do you prioritize basically one idea over another and how do you know you're gonna throw your investment there? And we, we come back and say, well, all ideas are worth exploring. All ideas are worth diving into. All ideas are worth our effort, at least initially 
to explore. And so we don't prioritize at the beginning. Basically, we, we, we try to do everything as much as we can with respect to our capacity. And the reason is because we're totally open, right? We're totally open to certain ideas taking us one way or another. But we go into those ideas with the principles of evolution, adaptation, and the possibility of change, just to say that if we're going to explore every idea, then obviously our, our triage mechanism for those ideas that aren't reading out are strong um, and they're disciplined. So there are certain milestones, certain hypotheses that we're testing. And if they test false, then we move away from those ideas and we move on to the next, or we pivot that idea and we turn it into something else. And that expectation of adaptation, refinement, evolution, whatever you want to call it, that is at the heart of sort of every development program that we have. Um, and so, you know, there's, there isn't this concept that you're going to continue to plug away um, at a specific project, a specific solution. Um, and, and some people may say, well, where's your resilience? Where's your, you know, it takes a lot of resilience to disrupt and it takes a lot of resilience to put a solution through. Um, our resilience is on the problem. You know, the problems we're solving, they're always going to be the same problems that we're solving. The solutions are where we're exploring the different ideas, right? And so one solution doesn't work, move on to the next solution, but we will always be addressing those problems. We will always be looking at these challenges to the healthcare system, these challenges to patients. We will always be working away and putting our effort at solving those issues. Um, and so it, it, it allows us to be able to explore a lot of different solutions and really put our efforts and our resources behind those few solutions that do come out, that do come out of the triage um, and, and are able to basically generate some success and generate some, um, some, some progress uh, in addressing these problems. So say, for instance, you're evolving an idea, um, mm -hmm. the process of building it out, you realize it, it falls outside of the scope of your organization's mandate or role. How do you manage those ideas? Would you hand them or would you think about handing them over to a third party? What's, what's mm -hmm. kind of the There's a couple of things there. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, um, all of our solutions, I mean, our, our entire philosophy is open innovation. So as you can imagine, all of our solutions are in partnership with an external one or two or three or four, or a whole coalition of external partners. Um, and so, you know, if an idea starts or becomes um, out of our current scope, not only scope of our business, but even let's say scope of expertise, then likely somewhere along that way, there is a partner that we're working with that, that has the expertise and has the business model to take this idea to, to market, take this idea to commercial. Um, so the first avenue is obviously to be that support partner. Um, as opposed to be the lead on any programs. I, I think this is something that is a bit of a departure from uh, Roche's thinking um, in, in so much that over the last you know, 10 or so years in, in almost every project that we've taken on, any, any initiative that we've taken on at Roche, we're usually seen as the lead of that project or the, the expert because we've only really taken on projects that are in our wheelhouse. 
as we get more and more into this exploration, we realize that in many of these programs, we're actually just a support player. We're actually just here for a certain, you know, to fulfill a certain puzzle piece that's missing. Um, and that the main player is somewhere else, um, is another partner. And, and how do we support that organization? That's incredible. That's an incredible learning opportunity for us because we have the opportunity to learn from these lead partners to say, you know, what is the business model that you're using to take these technologies to market? How, how are you using that to create viability for your organization? Um, and can we learn as we adapt our own businesses and, and business models to incorporate some of that or even to potentially transform some of that? So that leads to the second piece. You know, we're, we're closely, intimately tied with business development organizations at Roche Global um to to bring some of these ideas to the global um organization and say hey have you considered that roche could go into this business that roche could explore the potential the viability of a profitable business model as we explore these certain areas um and and it goes back to saying you know the nice thing about canada is that we do have a complex and dynamic enough health system or health systems um, that allow us to explore these areas with, um, with, the, with, with the ability to generate a lot of insights, right? Because you, you can explore these ideas in really simple markets and, and the insights for a global market are, are not as transferable. But in Canada, if, you know, what we always say, if it works in Canada, it'll work in Europe. If it works in Canada, it could work in the U.S., um, and so we have that ability to explore some of these new business models with global um, watching over us to see if, uh, see if that could be an interesting space for Roche to go. Um, do we do a lot of that? Um, not really. Um, you know, we want to do more. Um, but again, this, this goes back to how much of our resources in Canada do we put towards these uh, create for the future type of uh, experiments. I think much of it is us learning. Much of it goes back to our partners. Much of it goes back to the businesses where this is their core business. Um, and we have the opportunity to learn from them so that we can inform global. In your opinion, how important is culture? Oh, it's, it's number one. Um, you know, we, yeah, when you think about it, um, culture is mandatory. It's 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 um, you know it's it's a requirement. Um, and and the only question around culture is how important is it to have it organization wide versus inside of you know, specific centralized innovation organizations. And, and so, you know, when we built out the innovation organization at Roche, we looked at various different models, a lot of different companies, how did they build out their innovation group? And there are some companies who um, they are extremely focused on core business for one reason or another. Um, and, but, but they do want to have this culture of, um, let's call it the innovation culture, but but this this culture where people are allowed to explore, people are allowed to fail fast, people are allowed to experiment, and and so that type of thing they really want that, but they don't want to risk their core business, and so they build this 
sandbox um, of having that culture and they put all of those types of things and and in there but but inside of that sandbox called that culture that innovation culture is ex, is mandatory is extremely important um do they put in effort to expand that culture to the rest of the organization and that's where you start seeing the differences of some of these organizations they don't have the luxury to do so um again for one reason or another um and so but 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 inside of their innovation organization, it becomes extremely important. What we do with Roche is we want this culture embedded across the entire organization. We want people to feel that they can explore, experiment, fail, and continue um, and not be measured uh, on their failures, but be measured on their growth from those failures, their learnings from um, those failures. Um, and for us, so, so it's the same culture um, that we want to embed within our innovation organization and across our entire organization to be, um, you know, an innovative uh, organization. It's the application of that and how you, how you take that creative thinking, how you take that process of innovation and apply it to what it is you do. So don't forget about you know, your job, your role, what, what you're doing for the organization, what your overall outcome is uh, and impact is for the organization. But, um, but that's not what limits culture. If, if you bring a, a culture, a, a thought of um, freedom, uh, creative freedom, creative thinking to your day-to-day -day work, that's going to be incredible. Um, the impact of that on, on traditional strategies or, or core business growth um, I think is, is going to be incredible. So, I mean, long answer to your question, but I think hundred um, percent it, it has to be there. So another sort of challenge you know, that we've seen to a lot of different organizations is talking about internal competition for budgets. And we, we, we sort of wanted to know how, how do you go about sort of selling an idea or endeavor internally? And is it about educating leadership about the underlying technology, or is it more about selling a potential opportunity itself? Um, so, so one thing that we did recognize this at the very beginning. One thing that we did just to ease uh, some of that, some of those issues, some of those um, you know things that you brought up. We have a ring fenced budget for for innovation exploration. So this is this is ring fenced outside of core business operational expenditures. Um, so that you know those decisions um, they're not measured against the other opportunities that Roche uh, and and our business units um, are thinking about um, are prioritizing. So that we always have. A specific percentage of the opex that's being allocated to exploration. Now, that in itself, you know, you think about that. Okay, so uh, like it's it's almost like a band aid solution. It, it's like saying, you know, we know we're going to have challenges uh, with experimental exploration and these projects, and and challenges with um, comparing them against investments for growth for today. 
and so we're we're preventing any of those conversations to happen by ring fencing and budget and and that is more of a process decision just to say we don't want to slow any of those decisions down for for those create for the future type of projects um so so that's one way um that that we've gotten around it but like i said it is more of a band-aid solution because those ring fences get smaller or bigger or smaller and smaller and smaller. Likely, usually they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then so you're, you're faced with the same thing. So the, the longer term solution, the more sustainable solution is going back to culture and going back to buy-in of senior leadership is to say, you know, what, what is the focus on growth for tomorrow and create for the future type of initiatives and, and how much, you know, how much, how important is it for our business to be in these areas and to explore in these areas? And does the entire organization understand the importance of that? So when you are faced with making a decision about investing for tomorrow, investing in create for tomorrow initiatives, can they actually outweigh, outprioritize some of the investments that you're thinking about for, um, for growth for today? Um, and that's an evolution that's a that's I mean it's a cyclical evolution right so it ebbs and flows there are years where you know there is less budgetary concern and so that reflects in the thinking about saying okay now we can invest in the future now we can um, put some more emphasis on these growth opportunities but then there's years of contraction where you have to pull back a little bit and you have to say okay we can't invest at, at the same level and we have to focus more on core business just to get us through. And so we, we have to be, um, you know, those business pressures, we have to be amenable to those as well. Um, we can't go through with the same expectation year over year that we have the same level of um, resources, the same um, priority prioritization within, within the entire enterprise. Um, and so we, we think about that and, and how do we, you know, how, how have we set it up so that we're able to operate is, is the more interesting um, thing to talk about here. And it goes back to us and this, uh, let's call it agile approach to innovation in that, you know, our investments, our programs, like I said, we grow into these commitments, we grow into um, these opportunities. And so at the very beginning, when there's a lot of uncertainty uh, at, the, at the potential of this idea, um, whether that be potential for Roche growth or potential for patients, but any of the potential impact for the idea, there's a lar large amount of uncertainty, the investment's very small um, and the timelines to deliver on the results are very quick, less than 12 months, less than $100,000 uh, of investment. And at that level, there's probably, um, I mean, there's arguably not as much opportunity lost um, in terms of investing in other initiatives. And so we start out very small, very quick, um, and we only get into increasing the investment into these areas and increasing the resources into these areas when we know it has more potential. We know it has more business potential. We know it has more potential to deliver outcomes to patients. Um, and, and all of that is completely aligned to where we want to take the business. So at that point, when we're thinking about investing longer or longer time horizon and more dollars into that program, it's generated a lot of evidence around its certainty of success, but also 
um, its ability to deliver outsized impact. Uh, and so those, those conversations become much easier with that level of evidence behind the, those ideas. So just as a recap, we've talked about uh, how you define innovation, how you go seek out innovation in terms of opportunities or projects or initiatives. We don't want to forget our favorite people in the organization, legal and compliance. They are <laughs> very, very important. We understand that. But how do you involve them? Do you bring them in early or do you kind of let the idea uh, mature, uh, try and figure out some ways that you can kind of defend it? Uh, when do you involve them? No, it's it's definitely um, a, a tight knit partnership early, early on um, with uh, with the legal compliance team. Um, so having that, I, I mean, the first thing you have to you have to understand. I think you know, as as an organization, as as strategy owners um, of the organization, versus you have to understand what is a compliance and legal risk. And what is the strategic risk? Um, and and you know that's where having that early engagement with the legal and compliance team that can that can filter out some of this noise, uh, and and you can get away from you know um, assumptions and get into facts. Like, are is this a compliance risk? Is this a legal risk? And let's explore some of those solutions because. A lot of people think about the compliance team as as a as a as a barrier, um, and and ultimately, you know, you have to think about your compliance team being a solution provider to say if something is a true compliance legal risk, you know, bringing them in early means that it's it's not a no, it's it's more of a let's let's have a partner to think about a different way to solve this. Um, and it's not even just about bringing them in early, but they have to be a core member of, of that project team so that they can continue to help iterate some of these ideas. You know, and, and, and that's one of the pieces about exploration is that we do, we do find ourselves getting into some of these areas that under the regulated environment that the pharmaceutical companies are in, you know, we come up against a lot of compliance issues. Um, and, and it's the compliance business partner and the legal business partner on our side that, that, that becomes that partner in uh, problem solving. You know, how do we, not how do we get around this, but how do we continue to del deliver the same impact that this idea would have impacted in a compliant way, in a compliant manner? Um, and, and, you know, they, they come up with a lot of solutions. I mean, you have you have to have that knowledge to be able to come up with the solution so you got to bring them into the team and love to pick your brain about something in terms of your advice you know to someone who in pharma who's really passionate about innovation and wants to bring their ideas to life what would you tell them I think, um, you know, especially in pharma, especially in in large pharma companies. Um, so that's sort of where my experience is. So, so, so basically I'll, I'll speak from that perspective, but I think it, the pharma, the pharmaceutical company uh, at its core um, is, I mean, we call ourselves innovator companies. So, so innovation is at the core of what we do. Um, and for the last few decades, we've innovated within the drug development, drug discovery phase. 
and for many of the companies, they are starting to realize the, the, the let's call it limitations of pharmaceutical interventions in their ability to generate health outcomes. So there are a lot of companies looking at new innovative ways to deliver more outcomes. Almost every company is looking at new innovative ways to deliver more outcomes to patients. And, and some companies like Roche are more amenable to completely disrupting our business model in 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 the towards the goal and the objective of delivering more health outcomes to patients and other ones are are not as amenable but we're all looking at innovation and so what i would say is if you're part of a large multinational and you find yourself in an affiliate there are a lot of internal programs that you may not know about that that nurture inspire this creative freedom at roche we're launching a global program across all affiliate um, organizations um, to nurture entrepreneurship. So these, you know, we're giving opportunities to our employees to say, if you have an idea, whether it be related or not uh, to current business strategy, we have a mechanism to support and nurture your entrepreneurship desires to bring that idea to market. And, you know, the, the buy-in from senior leadership at a global level is to say, if you go through the process of taking this idea into prototype into action into a first test market we will commit i mean if it, you show success through that entire process we will commit to exploring that idea as a roche business as a new business unit as a line item um, in in you know our top line revenue and so there's that level of commitment towards um, leveraging the entrepreneurs at, at the organization. So, you know, I think for, for many people coming into the pharmaceutical industry, this is a perfect time to think about the fact that you don't have to go out and work in a small startup um, to get a really, really cool idea off the ground and running. We are now an industry that values um, that creative freedom, that entrepreneurship, um, quality in our employees. And not only that, we have the support mechanisms to leverage those qualities and turn those into true implementable um, products or services that, that will go into the market. And we can accelerate the ability to bring that idea to a patient to increase the outcome. So, so, you know, it's, 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 the advice is basically um, just to look around and, and if it's not there, build it. I mean, why not? Um, why not? Why not take your idea to whoever you need to take it to internally and get, get that idea um, fleshed out, get some resources, get some support. Um, it's from my perspective, it's, it's better than, leaving and and pursuing that idea because if if you can get buy-in from you know Roche senior management to take this idea forward you have all the support of powered by Roche behind you to take this idea to patients and and isn't I mean at the end of the day that's the most important thing is can you take this idea and get it to market and have it impact patients and what is the best fastest most robust mechanism in order for you to do that and, you know depending on the company that you're at for Roche, I think it's partnering with Roche uh, and, and you have that power behind you. That's great advice. And it's nice to see Roche and other companies kind of thinking about the entrepreneurship angle, making sure there's a, avenues to kind of act on that. So that's great to hear. 
And Michael, that's all the time we have. Really appreciate you coming on. We'd definitely like to keep track of all the stuff that you guys are doing at Roach and we'll keep an eye out. Yeah, for sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for this opportunity. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. So we hope you enjoyed our chat with Michael. If this episode got you thinking more about how to be innovative, we'd be more than happy to help you brainstorm different ways to make that happen with digital. If you're interested, feel free to reach out to us through our website, aromodigitalgroup.com, or use the contact info in the podcast notes. Lastly, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you can get the latest episodes right away.